Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper, a series of interviews with financial consultants and industry experts helping financial advisors strategize, market, and grow their business using core fitness values and analogies. Do something today that your future self will thank you for with Get Advisor Fit. Here's your host, Olivia Looper. Hey guys, welcome back to Get Advisor Fit, where we encourage you to lift heavy, invest often, and market your ass off. Today, we are privileged to have an industry expert in our midst, Sharice Spiller. Sharice is the brain behind Level Best and the creator of the FinOps Co-op, a game-changing platform for financial planning firms. Her mission, to revolutionize operations in financial planning firms, creating streamlined, effective systems. Her roles range from consultant to educator, all the way to well-respected leader, and speaker at national conferences. So why am I so excited to talk today? Well, because we're gonna dive headfirst into the challenges of financial advisor marketing and operations. Sharice will enlighten us on some crucial issues, specifically talking about the top three to five operational problems financial advisors face and solutions for them, how to offer exceptional service to high net worth clients while running a lifestyle practice, and how multi-advisor firms can effectively sort their prospects for better marketing. So for all you CEOs feeling overwhelmed by wearing too many hats, and perhaps those advisors who have reached capacity but still have clients rolling in, a very good problem to have, I might add, she's got insights to help alleviate some of your stress. So this is a conversation you are definitely not going to want to miss. Sharice, welcome. It is great to have you on the show. Thank you, Olivia. What a great opening. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> I, I just started doing this and I feel really happy about the way it's going. Uh, it gets me excited to do the interview and then I give some background. But by all means, I know that there's probably a ton that I missed. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got here, uh, what lights you up about what you do and what most folks come to you for help with. Yes, loaded, loaded questions. So as Olivia said, Sheree Spiller, founder of Level Best and the creator of FinOps Co-op. So my background's actually in wealth management. So I started on the financial planning side, working at multi-billion dollar RIA firms, serving clients across the country, but I wasn't finding the right uh, culture, company cultural fit for myself. So back then I lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I now live in Houston, Texas. So instead of job hopping, I decided to pursue freelancing. So I would call myself definitely a freelance to founder. So when I started out, I was really focused on my lifestyle. I was the only person working in the business. But after um, a few years in, that was in 2016 to note, we're at our seven-year anniversary now, um, I decided to build something bigger than myself. So that's how Level Best came about. Our growth came through client referrals. When I first started, I did not market. I didn't know how to sell. I just told people my story. And advisors kept referring friends. And a lot of people were like, hey, I think you're really good at systems. You should go all in on consulting. And I made the commitment about four years ago. And so now we have a small team of five and um, people come to us really to scale their practices. So Olivia, what you said when we first started recording really resonated with me because every time I'm talking to people, I just tell them, 
operations doesn't have to be a snooze fest. So we really want to bring teams together to really, you know, educate them on how to scale their practice because it impacts beyond the business owner. It also impacts the teams, um, the clients. You want to make sure you don't have high turnover. So that's really what we're doing. This year, we launched FinOps Co-op to extend our education piece to operations professionals in the industry. I know I'm not here to talk about this, but another passion of mine is that I truly believe that FinServe industry can do a lot better on creating non-advisor career paths in the industry because a lot of people who want to pursue roles outside of the advisory track really don't have resources to actually become leaders in the companies and they're really going outside of the industry to find resources. It's so funny that you say that and I'm actually glad you brought it up even though that's not the topic of the podcast because when I think about what lights me up about my business and about helping other people grow their business, so much of it is founded in growth. Growth is exciting. Like you said, it goes beyond just scaling your practice. Who who on the team wouldn't get excited to say, hey guys, look at this hard work we did to bring in X amount of clients. Now look at the results that we can do. We can add this new um, really cool thing to the client experience. And we can do this really cool team building thing because we were came together and worked together for this common goal. And now we're all going to benefit. So I think, yes, the word operations, the word processes sounds yeah. like news best, but in reality, I think that's just, I think it scares people. So they need people like you to show them that, Hey, this is a good thing. Um, so I'm glad, and, and so, and so when I think about like what I want to do in the future too, like, I feel like, how could I help other people in mm-hmm. like me? And that's kind of sounds like what you're doing. Cause you went from the advisory space and we're like, you know, I'm not really finding what I'm looking for. And then went into the operations side and, and this, um, the FinOps and stuff. Um, so I think that's really cool. Yeah. Let's get into the meat and potatoes guys. I think this is going to be some, you know, for a lot of you, I think these problems are really going to resonate. So Sharice, why don't we, um, you work with a lot of advisors from solos to, like you said, multi-billion, um, multi-advisor firm RAAs. So with the intent that we focus first on problems and then solutions, what are the top problems that you see advisors struggling with at each stage of their business growth? Yes. Another loaded question. So no, I'm sorry. I just I want to know everything you know. And I absolutely <laughs> and Olivia, to be honest, like as we work with all sizes of firms, it's usually the same pain points, but it's just different. So the first one that I want to talk about is capacity. So if you're a solopreneur, lifestyle practice you know, you only have yourself, you're going to hit capacity at some point. So we have to, you know, talk through solutions there. But if you're a multi-advisor firm, your firm hits capacity. And instead of just thinking about one advisor, you're thinking about different servicing teams. Um, It may be, you know, turnover as well, if people are leaving your company. The second One, I'll go over staying with the solopreneurs and multi-advisor firms is that as your firm scales and as it grows, um, innovation happens and you find a better way of doing things. 
So then you realize like those clients that you've had for decades or maybe even just a couple years are no longer ideal. So then you have to make a decision. If you're a solo advisor, do you hire someone to manage those clients? Do you keep dealing with those clients, you know, or do you turn them away? Whereas like with the multi-advisor firms, they typically hire someone, an up-and-coming advisor, for example, to work with the smaller uh, clients. Now, it's not only revenue size. It may be that historically you were in, focused on investment planning, but now you want to offer comprehensive planning. So variety of reasons. But it takes me into my final point, which would be delegation. A lot of service-based businesses, like myself included, we all were really good practitioners. We were good advisors. We were good consultants. We were good marketers, but we really never had the experience around team management. So team delegation is the biggest challenge across our industry and I'm sure many others. Yeah. Okay. So all of those are, you know, something that we I encounter with financial advisors too. And one question that really comes to mind um, specifically first about capacity is, so when we think about capacity, I feel like most times we are dealing with capacity problems reactively mm. instead of proactively, right? Like we get in this position and we're like, shit, <laughs> I'm... <laughs> gonna pull my hair out this is too much what do I do and then we're frantically looking for solutions maybe we hire somebody out of a panic mode or you know we spend money on something we think is going to solve the problem right away but are there ways that advisors can project like what their capacity limit is so they can kind of think okay when we hit this many client relationships or when we hit this much, you know, um, assets under management, we know that we're going to have to bring on a junior advisor or bring on another CSA or whatever it is. That is a great question. Um, so we actually help advisors with this. Um, so I would say for all advisors, right, it, it's just the amount of meetings, right, per week. But I think where people fell here is that they don't think about all the other functions of the business. So a lot of advisors may say, oh, I can do 10 meetings a week. And it's like, you know, that's not sustainable. Like reviewing the work from your pair planner, you just having time to think, uh, making sure you can follow up after those meetings, uh, considering prospect calls if you have a spike in business making sure you are leading your team to greatness, making sure you're keeping up with the business development, bookkeeping and things like that. So what we typically do is back into uh, the numbers. A lot of advisors are very mindful about how many meetings they can have. What we see is that they say, I can have this many meetings per week. They may be doing surge. And we find that, hey, based on your ideal calendar, you're already over capacity. Wow. And so then another uh, challenge that I see is around the client service calendar. So a lot of the times you can really catch this with a client service calendar in, in place, but then that's when I would audit the calendar. Are you meeting with your clients more than what you need to? Are you efficient? So some advisors may have meetings 
and then have a follow-up meeting. And it's like, so why are you having two meetings on one topic? And it's because they're going into the conversation unprepared. So I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, no, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, and I think that that also leads sort of like into the other point that you made about deciding, well, for different reasons, you mentioned you're we're talking about turning away clients, right? Non-ideal mm -hmm. clients. Some of them might be existing clients that you find when you're looking at your capacity, like, oh, wow, mm -hmm. I'm really spending too much time with this client who's at this lower tier, yeah. but I'm really, I'm spending more time with them than maybe I spend with like one of my higher tier clients. And that sort of can help you decide, you know, I mean, do you ever recommend that advisors sort of try to, I mean, I guess you can't because they are working on an assets under management model. So it's not like you can say, hey, I'm going to charge you more, right? Yeah. So that we're on the same page. I'm so glad you mentioned this because that's, this is another area that we visit pricing analysis. So most firms do charge AUM, but you know, now we have fee only fee based. So for example, we talked to an advisor this week he wants to market to children of clients. So the young professionals and growing families of his retiree clients, it's a whole different ball game, right? Because even if they pay AUM, it's, it may not be much because they're still accumulating their assets. So that's where we look at, we do a pricing analysis. And to your point with AUM, it is what it is, right? So I would also tie that back into how are you delivering your services? Are you over-servicing based on the cost? And another big challenge that I see when it comes to capacity and pricing is like, if you're priced too low and you're over-servicing, you're not going to have room to hire and you may lower your profit margin to a non-ideal place just because you're hiring. So you're bringing on someone to help you with your clients you're over-servicing and you're undercharging. Disaster. Um, I feel like <laughs> I should just be completely transparent here and I'm going to self-identify with that. Um, between the period of, so right now where we just started June, today's June 2nd. Um, in the period post, I would say September, so October, November, end of the year till about, a month March right I went through this period of really looking at my business and I realized that I was doing exactly what you're saying which is taking on or adjusting my prices to allow new clients to come on yeah. to because I was undercharging and over servicing mm. so I've been through this whole thing with the time tracking I still work in progress I'm still working on it but um, this is a scary place to be. But the good news is that once you have someone like you to help point that out, because it wasn't really something it was really even on my radar, it, it was immediate relief because I knew that there I had options, right? Like first I needed to do my own pricing analysis and say, okay, well, what does my offer actually cost me? Yeah. And what is a good profit margin on that? And then adjust the prices to reflect that. B, and because I, you know, my model is different than a AUM thing and we charge a, you know, monthly fee or whatever. 
talking to the clients who are over-serviced and underpaying and talking to them about raising their rates or transitioning them to another professional. Um, what was the third thing I was going to say? I can't remember. But <laughs> <laughs> basically, that was the gist of it. It's a scary place to be. And I it feel is. like people are probably in this place and they realize and they just get caught up in, like you said, you get referrals and things are growing and you're yeah. like, okay, I'm just trying to keep up. And again, like that reactive versus proactive, and it can just put you in a really mm-hmm. scary place. Um, Olivia, if I could, I know that yeah. we're on, on the problems. I really want to talk about some ways to do an analysis on this because I definitely also had the situation where last year I had to let some clients go because it wasn't making sense. And, the, and I came to that decision because I was doing a disservice to my brand to the clients and to myself because I was so burnt out. But I want to share with this audience one thing to understand is like the difference between cash injection in your business and long-term growth in your business. Oh, I'm here for it. Yeah, I'm here for this. Yeah. (laughs) Because we have we all have one one-time services, whether you're a consultant or an advisor. You know, I used to do, and I still do like VIP days or intensives. Advisors do one-time plans, but then they have the option to do an ongoing monthly fee or AUM. A lot of people are like, oh, well, this client can't commit to the ongoing retainer. So I'm going to do a project fee or I'm going to do a one-time plan. And I found that a lot of advisors don't really keep that offering once they start getting retainer clients. So I would really, you know, urge people to really keep that top of mind. Um, And then also with the uh, one-time plans, usually it just doesn't make sense because they're taking away from those clients who were willing to commit to work with you on an ongoing basis. That is so incredibly powerful. And I feel like we need to just, I need to just take a minute and tell everybody, if you didn't listen to that, you need to like rewind 10 seconds times about three and re-listen to that because you are hurting yourself by oftentimes taking on projects in place of recurring revenue. And the the we all know that it costs way more money to get a new client than it does to retain a current client. So true. So (laughs) by taking on these projects, you're basically playing with fire. You're Mm -hmm. saying, okay, I am going to introduce this risk into my existing business model. I'm going to introduce this risk into my recurring revenue by, you know, putting, um, taking my time to do this one-time plan or this one-time project that's taking away from what I can actually offer to the people, like you said, that have already committed. And I think that um, it's something, again, that like we do out of fear or we do, like you yeah. said, out of the need to feel like we need to like inject cash. Like it's someone wants to hand us their money for a service and you know how to do it. So why wouldn't I do it? But also when we, in across all different kinds of industries, not just financial services and not just marketing agencies, mm-hmm. um, the amount of clients that turn from project to full is like 
less than 10 or 5% even. Yeah. Like it's with me because we sometimes I think we justify it this way. Like, oh, well, if I do this one-time plan for this person, then they'll come back like when they have more money or when they are ready or whatever. And, but the reality is that's very rarely the case. So yeah. stop and, and like, I just want to close it up here. If you are in a place where you just started your business and you need the cash, do what you have to do. Because I've talked to advisors who built their businesses through project-based planning when they were working a full-time job and were a career changer. And now they have successful retainer clients. There's a time and a place. But if you're drowning in work, you probably need to stop doing one-time planning. I am so glad we touched on that. I'm glad that we made the caveat. So actually, let's go ahead and get into the other solutions if you want. Um, so we talked about the capacity, um, team delegation, and turning away non-ideal clients. And now we just talked about doing a pricing analysis. So what are some of the other solutions that you work with advisors um, on to work through these problems? <laughs> yes. So I guess we can, so we hit the capacity. Let's shift gears into turning away clients. Okay. Um, or I guess, what are the solutions for the non-ideal clients on your book, right? Okay. So I kind of touched on it, but I'll go in a little bit deeper. So most advisors want to bring on an associate planner, or I wouldn't even say an associate, but like an up-and-coming advisor who can work with more, with, I guess, less complex cases. That's the gut instinct. A lot of advisors, and I just think business owners, we always think having a team just makes us look better. We're more established, but sometimes it's just not the best uh, decision. So I think here, when you have non-ideal clients, when you pick capacity, when you struggle with delegation, I think it's really, you need to diagnose your pain points in your business. So are you reinventing the wheel with delivering services? If you are, you are not ready to hire. Do you have a good understanding of your technology? Are you maximizing your technology? If you're not, you are not ready to hire. So for those non-ideal clients, you need to get your practice together before you bring on someone and make such a huge investment in training them, prolonging the training process because you don't have clear systems in place. It's going to end up a bad situation. They may stay, but it may take you double the amount of time to train them, or they may leave because you're just so disorganized and you're over capacity. So you're not focusing on time to develop them. You know how many people I have spoken to this week about hiring and who said, oh yeah, I hired somebody last year. It didn't end well. Three People have said that to me this week. And I was like, and okay, so in our situation, I don't know, sorry, I keep talking about our situation. Like, I love talking about business building and stuff. Um, it's me and my husband. He's technically a W2 employee of the company. We both are, whatever. Um, and we kind of been in this place, like, is it the right time to hire? But I know <laughs> I don't have the systems uh, in place to train somebody right now. Yes. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to hold off. What I'm going to do is I'm going to commit to writing. Okay. First, I'm going to write out our onboarding process so that one, we get everybody on the same page. I've told you about our podcasting process. We're updating our podcasting process. So that goes more smoothly. And then I have everything prioritized um, based on after that, 
based on what I want to hand off to somebody else. And so that's sort of like, I'm not doing it all at once, but I'm just like slowly saying, okay, this will be the next thing that I would want to offer bore to somebody else let's get that in a position where it's teachable to somebody else mm-hmm. um because I'm so scared well, like you said a it's a gigantic commitment but b yeah. I don't want to be putting anybody in a position where they don't feel valued or mm-hmm. they're not giving their best to my company per my investment um and I think that another um scary part you know, that might happen from that is like, you don't want to get a bad reputation either. Yes. Like it's up and coming, you know, like, oh, that guy does not have his shit together. Like, mm-hmm. don't even mess with him. And it might not even be something that we do on purpose. Like you said, we're just trying to keep up. So like, um, we, we might hire somebody for a role and then we realize that that's not really the role we need filled. And then we try to get them to do Ooh. something else. And then it's really not their fault that they're not fulfilling their duties. It's because we didn't have a good, clear idea of what that job position should be or what, you know, what the um, task for that role would be, what they would be responsible for, how would their performance would be measured. So it really can just, I think, spiral out of control if you're not ready. Yeah. Yes. And I think um, two solutions here. So for team delegation to make sure, make sure you're prepared. Uh, the first thing I said two. I'm going to say three. Okay. So the first thing that you want to do is make sure your processes are documented. Okay. Um, and then the second piece of this, you don't only delegate to people, but you also have automation as a resource to you, which I think a lot of people miss. So For the busy entrepreneur, which is most of us, you don't really trust automation because you're like, man, I don't even know like what I'm doing half the time. I'm just clicking away. Everything's in my head. That's what a lot of people say. Um, So for me, the biggest, best investment I made last year was actually hiring an uh, operations manager. Operations managers help you with these challenges. They can come in now a virtual assistant and operations manager are two different things before I say this. Okay. <laughs> operations managers are experienced operations professionals. They can create systems and they can maintain systems. They're tech savvy. You know, they understand the big picture, but also can implement the details. So yes, I am an operations consultant, but over the years I've been recommending all of our advisors to hire operations professionals. So what happens is they work with us to build the systems and they identify someone on the team who can plug into our process. Most business owners don't have the capacity to really get their hands into the operations. It's just really challenging. We're juggling so many things. So that would be my three options. Like if you're struggling with bringing on a team member, first you want to make sure your workflows are documented to create that repeatable system. Second, you want to plug in automations. So using systems like Zapier, looking for integrations with your different systems. And then third, consider hiring an operations manager who is tech savvy enough to manage these systems for you. That is brilliant. Thank you. I think that's really, some really powerful advice. Now, I do have a question. When um, when you're working with folks, you said you recommend almost all of your advisors end up hiring an operations manager. Do you have like vetted um, professionals that you can recommend to them? 
Great question. No, well, you don't have to say who here, but I yeah. mean, you help them find somebody who fits a good fit for their business. I do, but okay. I do what I do have is a criteria of the types of responsibilities you would delegate to them. And that's where FinOps co-op comes in. So, oh. and this is where the gap in the industry lies. So there's no resources for operate people that want to be an operations manager to really go. So we have FinOps Co-op, which is an online community for those people who want to be operations professionals and solopreneurs. So it's an educational platform. We have a forum in there and we have monthly guest speakers on different topics like automations, workflows, strategic planning, and office hours with me. So really Level Best also is training those people in these companies to really take over the operations for the firms that we work with. Oh, wow. So I guess a really good question, Angus, we got <laughs> to get into that. No, that's perfect. I mean, that sounds like a really amazing opportunity for anybody who's looking to get into that, you know, field of business. And it really is a fascinating field of business. I mean, if you own a business, how can you not be interested in it? So, or, you know, if you're looking, like you said, to grow a business in that area, mm -hmm. you definitely have to check out the FinOps Co-op because that's really neat. I'm excited to learn about that. Thank you. Um, okay. So I feel like we've gone over the problems. We've gone over a lot of the solutions, unless there were some that we didn't hit that you wanted to touch on yet. Um, so the turning away of clients, I, I, kind of went to the team delegation, but to simplify the solution there, if you're at a point in your practice where you have non-ideal clients, it's very simple. You can sell your book to someone else, which some advisors do. Uh, most of the times it's like, oh, we now do comprehensive planning, but we have, you know, a hundred investment accounts that we really don't want to manage anymore. You can sell the book. Um, you can, like I said, hire hire someone on your team to manage that small book of clients as well. Finally, if you don't feel like trying to find someone to buy your book and you don't want to hire someone, you can just refer those people out. Okay. Um, I guess the fourth one would be, you can look at your systems to see if there's a way to make it more systematized to sustain them. You know, um, of course, since they are smaller clients, you don't want to make, you don't want it to be as high touch as your, you know, top clients that are on your comprehensive planning. So those are the four solutions there. Perfect. Yeah. That, um, I mean, that's, that's a good set of options. I mean, you, can <laughs> you know, figure out a better way where you can handle it, keep them in or transition them out, like, you know, or higher. Um, so that's, those all sound like good solutions. Um, so we do have a few questions left. You have time. Um, one that I think is going to be super, this is a question that I know is top of mind for a lot of the folks that I work with, um, which is how do I offer high net worth clients exceptional service with a lifestyle practice? Yes. So that is a great question. And so one thing that I think is good with level, I, I'm the founder of Love Best, you know, but I just want to share with you what we do. Nice. Uh, so client segmentation is really good. Uh, client segmentation is good, but you can also implement it into your prospecting process. So I'm going to go over two things here. So the first one is client segmentation. So 
some of the things that we do for those advisors that want to have a lifestyle practice is really segment their existing clients, but also all lifestyle practice, we recommend to not have any one-time services. Like you just can't because you're going to hit capacity very quickly. Um, so with the client segmentation, we do a point system and it consists of very different things. It's, you know, qualitative and quantitative, you know, variables. So what is your AUM or fee minimum? Um, do they match your ideal client profile? Do you like working with them? Most of the time, once we do that point system and the advisor audits their book, they realize like, wow, I have a lot of people that I probably should refer out. So I just talked about referring people out. That's a way to really get the list, you know, reduced. Uh, secondly, you know, we go over, and this is where we really partner with marketing firms. We go over tiers of service, ideal um, client avatars, and then benefits of service. If you get really clear on those three areas and you market it very well, it'll help set that expectation. If you get a non-ideal client coming in, they're going to see like, oh, based on this person's messaging, I'm not a good fit. You know, right. be bold, say, this is my minimum, put it on your website. I so agree. they, so they know, you know, what to expect. Um, girlfriend, you are preaching to the choir because I feel like before, you know, you, you said 2016, I didn't come on the scene till like 2018. I feel like before that, you know, you were, you were actually in planning, so you would know, but, um, there was like, it was so taboo to like talk about like yeah. that kind of thing, right? Like to say you had a minimum, but I think that that's because it, it we didn't have the digital capabilities that we have today. I mean, you could have 3000 people visit your website in one month and you, so you need to be able to say, you know, this is our entry level. You cannot get in for under this and just let those people go. Yes. You know what I'm let them, it's like, do them a favor too, and let them keep searching on their search. You know, mm -hmm. don't waste their time on a call. You don't want to waste your time on a call if they're not a good fit. So put your minimum on the website, put it in your emails. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily put it in a social media post. I mean, you could, you could put it in like your, like the footer part of it. If you wanted, it's not out of the question. You could put it in your about us section. It needs to be a part. And I completely definitely agree also with um, your messaging, what you're saying, because that is going to help you attract the right people and also detract, uh, that's not the word, but, you know, repel the, the wrong ones. Um, and those, like you said, the pain points are different for different levels of engagement. And yeah. something the other day I was talking, you put it a really interesting way, at least for like marketing agencies. So to be, there's two, two types of people that are going to come to you. The kind of they're like the essential client who wants like you know basic package and then your mm -hmm. ideal client who comes and wants your full premier service offering and the person who comes for the essential package they value their um money more than they value their time so you have mm -hmm. to make the case for this is why you should spend your money here and then the the ideal client values their time more than they value their money. So they're looking for solutions that save them time. And they just want to know that they're going to get a return on the money that they're handing to you. 
And I thought I that was that. really interesting. And I'm just sort of still processing it, you know, as I think about client segmentation and how we approach different service offerings in your marketing, because you can't do effective marketing without a, an effective offer. Yeah. And it's not being very clear on what it is the outcomes are for the service you're providing. Yeah. I love that. I, that's actually, I think about every business decision I make, it's like, do you have money or time? And like, you know, so when you think about operations and like you said, marketing, look at it that way. Do you want to take the time to do this or do you want to invest and have someone else do it for you? So I think, I think that's good. But another point I wanted to make around, um, you know, lifestyle practices and what to do and making sure you're offering the best service. You know, we talked about working with that ideal client avatar, but I think people have a lot of guilt. Like I myself have guilt, like I have grown and I'm working with more established firms, but I have guilt because I was a entrepreneur with a small, tiny budget and I needed help. But there's so many resources out there. Um, you know, Score Mentors is a really good one that I've used. SBDC, both inner, um, both national services. But as advisors, when we build out sales processes, we always have a not a good fit process. We always tell every advisor there are so many people out there. Your non-ideal client will be an ideal client for for someone else. And so don't feel guilty, support the industry. We just need to have more of a um, growth mindset instead of a scarcity mindset. Your cup is overflowing. So why not, you know, refer to a friend or a colleague? So once we've done that, I've actually seen success with um, some of the advisors I worked with last year who were in this situation and we audited the book, they found 10 to 20 households that they wanted to get rid of. And since I work with advisors all the time, I'm like, I have advisors that I can introduce you to who you know believes in the same methodology as you, but your non-ideal client is their ideal client. So that's what gives people peace of mind. I really love that because you know, the reason that I know you is because of Zoe. And (laughs) so my business model has changed a little bit since we first started. But in 2018, when I started, our business models were very similar. And um, she has always been, oh my gosh, just over the top, so helpful and always, you know, offering help, information, referrals, things like that. Um, So she really was almost like my, my mentor in having this um abundance mindset because as a new business owner i did not know how to think about talking to my competition or anything like that and i but i think you know so i'm all about this you know there are plenty of service providers out there and if it's not a good fit for you it'll be a great fit for somebody else and so you know we zoe and i and other marketers we are always talking and things like that and the same thing is, I think that good news is that I feel like more advisors are adopting this abundance mindset versus yeah. this scarcity. And I see it even more so in advisors who actually do their own marketing because they mm-hmm. see what's out, like they're on social media, they're going to webinars, they're attending events. And I think that it helps them see like, okay, I don't have to be in competition with this guy next to me. You know what I'm saying? Like there are plenty of clients to go around and, you know, we're all going to be a lot happier if we're matched up 
with the right pair. Um, but I did have a question and I'm trying to ask, I, I've been trying to remember three times and I, <laughs> and I think it's real. I'm just super interested in, in the answer, which is when you, when you guys work with an advisor and you say, okay, these are the 10 clients that you need to do something with. Um, and you decide, okay, transitioning out is the best option. Now they might be scared, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, well, that's money out the door. So do you do, do you put them on like a process like we're going to do two at a time or we're going to do them all in the next three months or like what's your process that you recommend um to offboarding those clients great question so we draw the line i would say with the book so they will send up they'll remove the client's name and then just send us like this is how much revenue this is how long we've been working with them and then we audit it and then we give them options because we are accountability partners. So we really want them to be really engaged and make the decision themselves. We are just there to show them, hey, this is the options that you have. Um, <laughs> it's so funny because I, you know, it's really um, a coaching moment, I think, here. I'm definitely a consultant first, coach second, but, you know, a lot of people have to have that mindset shift where like, you know, the advisor that decided to just refer out, it was the best call uh, for that person. But I have an advisor right now where they want to bring on an, an advisor and it doesn't make sense financially. So we're going to have that conversation and weigh out the options and say, if you want to do this, here's what you need to do to make it work. Um, but if you don't want to do, you know, option one, then here's option two. So we really leave it up to them. And so it's definitely collaborative yeah. you know, brainstorming, like, okay, pros and cons, weigh the relative merits. And Lord knows we can look at data all day long. But at the yeah. end of the day, sometimes we just ball it up in a, a ball and say, okay, we're doing this anyway. <laughs> yeah. And it's really like uh, advisors just get really taken back by like, oh, someone has helped me think through this. Because it's really like the strategic and critical thinking of, hey, this is a problem in your business and here are options to solve it. And just that alone goes so far. Oh yeah, I can imagine. I mean, and we like we get so stuck too in our own frame of mind, our own way of thinking and seeing things. So we need other people to to help us. I always I feel like I tell everybody this, but having someone like um, partners and you know growing your business, whether it's a coach or a consultant or whatever you you know want to call it. Uh, like the greatest life hack in the world. Like why yeah. <laughs> you figure all this stuff out on your own when you can have somebody in your corner like talking it through with you and helping you make the bestest decision you can, even if it's not objectively the best. Yes. The bestest for your situation, you know? <laughs> um. So, okay. So the I think we only have time for one more, but so I'm going to ask the marketing related question. Yes. Which is how can multi-advisor firms sort prospects. This is a big hot topic. Yeah. First to start, I love marketing. I find that most advisors are like, I'm going to focus on my operations first, get my systems in order. And then I'm going to go to a marketing company to generate leads because I have a good process once they come on. So level best, we start our services from the time you get a referral. 
So like, what does that workflow look like? So a lot of people always ask that. We don't do marketing. Now marketing um, is involved in the prospect process. So when I talked about, we help clients figure out their ideal clients, their ideal benefits and their tiers of service. We literally give that operations blueprint to a marketing person to say, hey, can you sell this for us? Can you make it sound, you know, sexy? <laughs> yeah. um, but prospect screening, let's unpack it. Okay. So there's a lot of different ways to do this. So a lot of advisors and myself included uh, are using forms. So this is where, and I'm sure you can add into this, like I don't do email funnels, but that's where an email funnel would come into play. So it depends on how, uh, much new business you want. So for the advisors who are like, I don't really need clients. I want to slow it down. I'm getting a lot of bad leads. Okay. Why don't we do a screening through a questionnaire so you can review it. And if you review it and they're not a good fit, you can just easily refer them out. Um, a lot of advisors prefer to talk to someone so another option that we've been seeing is that instead of a lead advisor having that screening call, training an associate or an operations manager on that conversation. Now, this is important for multi-advisor firms because you're really screening them to see if they're a good fit and to tell them about the firm, go over the fees, and then to match them with the right advisor. I worked with a firm over two year, years ago, they implemented this and they're still doing it and they're really happy with it. So you want to find someone on your firm who can really represent the company well, who can hold a conversation. Again, it's a screening call. So it's a non-advice driven conversation. Advisors are doing this. It's, you know, you can do it. Um, and so on that conversation, I went over the agenda and then I'll just say, oh, you're a better match for Sharice or you're a better match for Olivia. And then they go through it. So screening options, you can do a form or a call or both. And that's how I think you can sort. I answered that question a lot quicker than what I thought. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was I was just looking up while you were talking about this. Okay, one of my favorite screening processes that I'd seen by an advisor um, who actually turned me down, <laughs> but um, I I think it, they was they were called uh, Beyond Your Hammock. It looks like they're in Boston, and I was trying to see if I could get to the process, but be, the screen thing I think it's uh, like if you when you try to go schedule your consultation. Um, First of all, before you can book anything, there's like this whole FAQs page mm -hmm. and then um, you can go to book your time. But then when you are in it, um, you just see if I can get to it right there. Okay, let's see. What motivated you to contact a financial planner? What is your total gross annual household income? What is the total balance of your existing assets outside of real estate? Are you considering having a financial advisor manage your investments? Uh, we are a full service firm. We do not offer hourly planning or one-time projects. You have to click. Yes, I understand. I'm looking for a firm that can provide ongoing wealth management support. You have to opt in and say, yes. yes, this is what I want. And you know what? 
that person never talked to me. And it was, and I was totally fine with that. You know why? Because I got a great little email that said, we don't think that our services are a good fit for you based on your situation. Here are some other options, blah, 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 blah. And I thought, well, that sucks. I liked them, but okay, cool. And I kept looking. We didn't waste our time on a phone call, you know, and it might seem like a lot of questions, but you, as an advisor, need to own your value and yes. say, I have limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. I am not going to waste it on somebody who is not a good fit. And so you put a screening process in place. And like I said, the email that I received for rejection was uh, super, super nice, super helpful. And, you know, like here I am talking about them on my podcast because I thought their process was super great. So, yeah. you know, it's part of that experience um, you know, maintain a good relationship with, with other people, because maybe, maybe I'll stay interested. Maybe when I am qualified, I'll come back. You never know, you know? So. Yeah. um, And I think before like jumping into the form, like I love the form, some advisors are hesitant, right? Like, I don't want to just, I don't know. Will they fill out the form? It's like, do the screening call and see what questions are coming up. So you have your vetted list of criteria. You know, and I think it ties into the ideal client as well. Um, And then you can make that decision. So some advisors, like if one advisor I'm working with now, referrals are really big for him. So if he refers some, if someone sends in a lot of referrals, then he's like, if they don't meet my minimum, I will work with them, you know, and I don't hear that a lot. It's usually just like, how much are they paying? Oh yeah. Okay. I like that too. Um, yeah, it is scary, but I mean, there are things that you can do at your comfort level. Maybe that kind of thing is it too much at first and we to just take baby steps, right? Like, mm-hmm. and see what a good um, fit is for your volume. I'm sure volume has something to do with it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Sharice, this was action packed. Let me tell you, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for coming. Um, why don't you go ahead and tell our audience where they can find you and we'll include all that information in the show notes as well. Yes. Thank, and thank you for having me. So we just started a YouTube channel, but I don't know why I'm starting with that because there's nothing there now, but we just did. Uh, and we have LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook at get level best. Uh, we also have a LinkedIn newsletter that I drop monthly. And then we have a monthly newsletter that you can subscribe uh, from our website. Okay, perfect. Get Level Best. And what's the website URL? Getlevelbest.com. Okay, perfect. All right, guys, you know where to find her if you need some help in scaling your business and putting better systems and processes in place so that you have a positive company culture and everything goes swimmingly, which is what we all need. Um, Thank you again for joining us and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Get Advisor Fit with Olivia Looper. To learn more about Olivia and how her firm, Lexicon Content Development, can help you, visit lexiconcontentdevelopment.com. If you want to reach out to Olivia on LinkedIn, you can find her at Olivia Looper Lexicon. And if you'd like to follow Olivia on Instagram, you can find her at Lexicon Content Development. Till next time.